Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join this seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. Your family and those you care about will appreciate you that much more if you make sure your assets are organized and tidy. Now that means planning for a time when you may not be able to make decisions as well as how you want your holdings divvied up after your death. No, it's not fun to think about, but it is important. Estate planning documents and how they connect to your financial accounts are the focus in this episode of Foster and Motley's podcast about wealth and life. I'm Patrice Sikora, and with me are investment manager Rachel Rasmussen and financial planner David Neenaber. David, this is your first time with us, right? So tell us a little bit about yourself and why you became a financial planner. Well, Patrice, thanks for having me. I'm excited to join the podcast here. Um, My full-time job, I'm a dad of five, uh, come from a busy household with a beautiful wife, Uh, During the day, I have the great privilege to work at Foster & Motley as a financial planner. I guess when you think about what you want to be when you grow up, sometimes you have to rule some things out first. So pro golfer was at the top of my list, but the athletic ability just didn't have that in the cards. So um, to get closer to the game of golf, I worked at a golf course. And some of the members I met there, um, there were quite a few financial advisor, financial planner folks, and I just saw a lot of them and said, you know what, there's a lot of attributes I like about their personality and the work life, how they describe it. Um, and then another key feature is just through family. Uh, my parents face some issues uh, that their parents didn't face about saving for their own retirement. And I could see some of the confusion around how do taxes and estate planning and retirement and all of those things tie together. Uh, so really from a pretty early age, uh, I was certain I wanted to be a financial planner. And here we are. All right. And you like what you do? Love it. Couldn't think of anything else to do. I think if I won the lottery, I'd still be a financial planner. <laughs> You'd have the money to do that with. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rachel, I know we met you briefly in the introductory episode, but we really didn't get to learn about why you do what you do. So this is your chance. Tell us a little bit about what made you want to be an investment manager. Well, I've been with Foster and Motley for over seven years now on the investment team. And really what brought me to want to become an investment manager stems back from my time at Seton Hall, uh, getting my MBA in finance, they had something called the CFA Research Challenge. And it was all about analyzing a stock and putting your big ideas in front of a panel of Wall Street judges. We, We got to do that at Bloomberg back in the day. And it was, it was really exciting. But really what, what really drove me to want to be an advisor, not just an analyst, was a mentor I had um, back at Seton Hall. He was a wonderful mentor, and he was really interested in getting females involved in financial planning and investment management. And he took took me under his wing, taught me the ropes, and helped me find my first job working for a brokerage firm, getting to help people 
manage their money, working with them face to face was really my entree, uh, um, my first steps into the field. Mm-hmm. Sounds like in both cases, it was people that brought you into the field. Absolutely. Right. People that bring us in and people that keep us here because yeah. it's all about working with the clients and they're really the boss. Um, so as long as they're happy, then it makes for a really wonderful job. And that's what we're going to really consider today, helping them again. We're talking about estate planning documents. Estate planning, woo, that sounds big, it's impressive. Documents, who wants to deal with paper? But you get that done and then is the work all over? Is it done once those papers are signed? Well, Patrice, I think most people wish it were over at that point. But unfortunately, the work, there's still plenty of work to be done. And it's the work on the back end of making all of the documents kind of work as you outlined and um, the titling and the beneficiaries that really require a focus. Uh, But before we get into more of those details, just an important note about this podcast. And that is uh, the topics we're going to discuss today really should not, they're not meant to be used to make your own personal decisions. Uh, There's no one size fits all solution to estate planning. Um, We are not attorneys and nothing today should be construed as legal advice. Uh, But that said, Rachel and I have worked with a lot of families and we've seen a really common pitfall around estate planning and that's a lack of implementation. So I'm really excited to just share what we've learned from other clients and hopefully save some folks uh, from the mistakes that we've seen with clients. Before we go any further, let's define what is estate planning? Well, most simply, um, it's planning for a time when you can't make your own financial or healthcare decisions. So that could be during your life, uh, if you're incapacitated, uh, or the more common uh, thought of estate plan is it's your will. It's what happens to my assets at my death. So kind of together, those two items encompass estate planning. And now we're talking about documents, documents, lots of documents here. Tell me about that. Well, there's um, there's documents that you need. Um, as I mentioned, they kind of fall into two main buckets, financial documents, um, a power of attorney to help you make financial decisions, a will, a trust, which complements a will. We can discuss that a little bit later on. Uh, but you also need healthcare documents. You need uh, certainly a healthcare power of attorney so that someone can consult with medical professionals on your behalf if you can't. Um, and in some cases, a living will uh, falls into the other healthcare component that you need. So the, in general, those are the documents. Um, and then you need helpers. You need to think of the people that are going to step into those roles in the event that you can't. These obviously would need to be updated. How do you know when to do that? That's where Dave comes in (laughs) as a financial planner. um, You know, the things that that we hear in meetings sometimes spur that conversation with maybe something you told us, it it might warrant a revisiting of your estate planning documents. and, And sure enough, you'll pull out those documents and they don't truly reflect your wishes as they as they currently are, because, you know, life changes and. So, so Dave is one of the reasons why I think estate planning attorneys get some business. He gives them a call and says, hey, we, we need to update these, these documents to reflect 
new asset, um, new, new grandchild or whatever it is. Yeah. And to Rachel's point, passage of time is always a reason for new documents. What you thought seven or 10 years ago versus, you know, life today can look very different, but to Rachel's other point, life changes and you have marriages and folks pass away and your goals change. And whenever there's major life events, it's always a good time to take a fresh look at your documents. All right. So we've got the documents, then we've got implementation and communication in my notes here. And today you say we're going to focus on the implementation of this. Tell me about it. Yeah. So um, most people think they're done when they sign the documents and I don't blame them. I mean, heck, they had to face their own mortality. They had to schedule an appointment with an attorney and pay for the opportunity to go sit with an attorney, review draft documents, sign documents, and we all would just want to feel like, okay, that's behind me. Uh, but unfortunately, um, those documents need to get implemented. And what we mean by implemented is account titling updated, whether that's a bank account, a brokerage account, your home, or they need to be assigned beneficiaries. So a 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, life insurance policies are all types of accounts that are driven by beneficiaries. So Patrice, if there's a single takeaway today, it's the fact that your documents do not necessarily determine the disposition of your assets. That really? titling and really? beneficiary trump those documents. Really? Talk to me about that. Well, I guess it can best be captured in a, a phone call I received from a friend. Um, her grandmother had passed away. She had a really small family and her grandmother had always told her that she was the single beneficiary of her estate. And so she took the time to mourn and then thought, oh my gosh, I need to figure this out. I've never done estate planning before. She was felt overwhelmed. Well, come to find out, grandma's accounts had a different title than just grandma's name. They had what's called a transfer on death designation that sent the assets to granddaughter, but also to other relatives. So unfortunately for my friend, she had to learn the hard way that grandma's trust and will didn't matter because her brokerage accounts were titled differently. And so they weren't coordinated with her estate plans. That is a huge disappointment, I'm sure, and surprise. How can the beneficiaries or can the beneficiaries be on top of this as well as the person who's made the estate plan? Well, I think sometimes it's best to lead by example. So especially with the baby boomers we work with, um, they'll share with us that, boy, I wish my parents would go through this, or I wonder if my parents have been through this. So what I have found is it's great for our clients to go through the estate planning process, learn that it's more than just documents. And then that can help them facilitate a family conversation that says, hey, I was taking care of this for my kids. Is this something you're comfortable uh, sharing your plans or do you need help on this front? So kind of lead by example. All right. We now know that we have to have the will and the trust have to say the same thing as well as the accounts and, and all the other paperwork, but how do the assets flow? So the flow of assets um, is first driven by titling. So in my friend's case, if there's a brokerage account and it says transfer on death to um, the brokerage firm, whether that's Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, 
Uh, once they have a death certificate, they're simply going to transfer those assets um, to those transfer on death beneficiaries. Um, in the case of a 401k, where you name a beneficiary, um, your heirs that are named beneficiaries would set up uh, an inherited IRA account, and those assets would be divvied up between the beneficiaries as stipulated uh, and sent to a tax-deferred IRA account. Um, and then it's from there, um, if, for, in, for example, you had an asset titled to your trust, so say, for example, you retitled your house into the name of your trust, or you took your brokerage account and retitled it to your trust. Then after those other titling and beneficiary things have been cleared up, then your trust speaks, as long as you've titled assets into your trust. And the last thing that speaks is your will. And it's a little bit deeper than the, the focus of this podcast, but really you don't want your will to be doing the heavy lifting. You know, we've all seen the Hollywood movies where they go to the attorney's office and they open up the will and some people are happy and some are disappointed. If your estate plan's being driven by your will, there's a pretty good chance that you didn't focus on implementation like you should have. Why is it that people let things fall through the cracks? It's a hard topic to talk about. And certainly several of the subcomponents of estate planning have to involve some level of agreement. And let's say if a spouse or partner is involved, you, you may have kids and trying to determine um, who's custodian of the kids, who's guardian of the assets, there might be disagreement to work through. So sometimes you don't want to face those things. And it, it makes it hard to, to want to go sit down with a estate planning attorney. Also, some of it falls on, on us as the advisor. Our job is to look at those documents once they've been signed off on and notarized and say, what are our action points? So we work with the estate planning attorney to say, here are the 10 items. We need to title it as such and make sure we follow up with the client to get those signatures. Otherwise, to, to Dave's point, the, the paper is only good as what it's written on. Um, it doesn't work unless it's in force. Yeah. And I think time's the big hurdle. Uh, there's no way around it. You've got to track down beneficiary forms and um, you've got to change titling and it's just a lot of work. And I can't say it any other way. Um, and you don't want to pay an attorney necessarily their rate to be filling out beneficiary forms for you. That's not a great use of the attorney's time. That's not a great use of your money to pay for that. Um, so most attorneys do give a, a letter that outlines here's kind of the implementation steps, uh, but I do think it's pretty daunting from a time standpoint. Um, and then the other reason I think implementation can fall by the wayside is something that Rachel's very familiar with, and that's just an abundance of accounts. Um, life happens and every life event, it seems like there's a new account. So For a Rachel, different mental accounting purpose. Oh, this is our <laughs> vacation account. This is for my kids, you know, fun money from cutting the grass or, or whatever it is. There, there could be a million different accounts and different custodians too. Could be at a brokerage house, could be multiple bank accounts. You have to go to make quite a few different pit stops to figure out which form you need to fill out. Do you find that, let's assume it's a couple that's coming in to see you, that most couples coming in agree on how things should be 
uh, disposed of or, or what accounts they still need, how to do things, or find yourself sitting there trying to mediate the discussion? For those that haven't been through it before, it's a lot to take on. Um, not only are you facing your own mortality, um, you're trying to think who's going to be guardian of our children. And if you want to walk into a heated discussion, ask a couple that um, seldom is that just clear as could be. You know, frankly, those are the reasons why most folks don't get estate documents in the first place. And so I think as we look at the implementation side, a lot of times it can be this thought of, man, I don't want to do that again anytime soon. The disagreement with my spouse and the communication hurdles, gosh, we signed it. It feels like it's over with. And as we've discussed, the next steps of implementation are just as important because if you don't do it, then it's really a, a waste of your time and money. Right. I think Dave does a really great job. Um, and the other financial planners here, they at least prompt you with, here are the five decisions you should have made before you walk into the office with the attorney saying here, these are the five helpers you need. We call them helpers that you need to outline before you go and get those documents started just to make the, at least the decision-making process somewhat streamlined with um, what otherwise would be a, a daunting task. Yeah. I think couples just need the space to have those difficult conversations uh, and it can certainly be awkward in front of a professional, whether that's your financial planner or your attorney. You just kind of need some guidelines on what should we be thinking about and give the client space to have that conversation as a couple. All right, let's run down then for listeners, assets that need attention. Let's start with bank accounts. They need attention <laughs> um, in a couple different ways. Typically, bank accounts aren't titled to someone's trust. Um, it can just be funny how you're signing checks and most people don't want to be paying for their Girl Scout cookies with a, a revocable trust check. I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. So um, a payable on death or a transfer on death or common designations to act as a will substitute and to send that money to heirs directly uh, without going through the trust or the will. One important thing I'll say about bank accounts too, is it's great to put a power of attorney on the bank account up front. We've just seen really bad examples of a parent is incapacitated, child has been named power of attorney. They show up at the bank and say, hey, I'm power of attorney. Well, needless to say, the bank is not anxious to take their instructions on their parents' accounts. And there can be a lot of roadblocks before they can act on behalf of their parents. Uh, so getting a power of attorney on file with a bank, I think is a crucial step. I would add brokerage accounts uh, to that list as well. Rachel? Retirement accounts. So like Dave mentioned earlier, IRAs, Roth IRAs, inherited IRAs, all of those um, 401ks, they pass by way of beneficiary. So making sure that those beneficiaries reflect your wishes and, and revisiting that every few years, that's where you can engage your advisor and say, what does it say? Remind me again, and we can help map it out. So um, that you can get some help with those re retirement accounts. Other things like life insurance, you also have to name some beneficiaries on those. You can name a trust. Obviously, we 
we use what the estate planning attorney recommends. We don't try to tell anyone what it should be, we, but um, make sure those assets are properly titled. And finally, your house. Dave might know a lot more about that than, than I, but um, you can put transfer on death to a trust for your house and make sure that that also aligns with your estate planning goals. I can imagine real estate might get real messy. Yeah, of all the accounts, that's really where I would lean on your estate planning attorney. They tend to be really active in retitling or adding a transfer on death to that. And the laws are just so different by state. And what works for an, a client in Ohio could be very different for their second home in Florida. Uh, so it's really important to get aligned with the attorney and use their services to get that retitled. That's just a more complicated area of the law. You mentioned uh, power of attorney. Tell me about that. Well, there's really power of attorney. There's two types. One's called a durable power of attorney, and that really relates to financial matters. Uh, and the other is a healthcare power of attorney. So those are two documents that should be part of every estate plan. So basically, you're, both of these are during your lifetime. So a lot of what we've talked about today is at your death, how do your assets pass to your heirs? Uh, power of attorney is a document used during your lifetime to make financial and health care decisions when you cannot. Mm -hmm. um, so just like I mentioned with the bank account, it's important to get that on file with the bank so that there's no roadblocks thrown up when you actually need it. Uh, healthcare is the same way. Those documents should be shared with your primary care physician. Uh, they should be shared with the people that you're appointing, appointing to be your helpers. Okay. It's happened a time or two where we've gotten a frantic late night phone call or uh, email saying, do you have a copy of this? We're going to the hospital. Something scary has oh. happened and I don't have time to look for this. Um, so having a few of those uh, documents at hand, saved securely, uh, electronically can be really useful. And don't forget these documents for your college age children as well, especially healthcare. I see so many clients surprised when their 20 year old has an emergency procedure, they show up as the parents they've used to, they're accustomed to making those financial or those healthcare decisions for them. And all of a sudden there's HIPAA roadblocks that are presented. So having those documents in place uh, for children of majority over age 18 in a lot of states makes sense. And the healthcare power of attorney and financial power of attorney, they don't need to be the same person. You can choose different helpers to f facilitate that role. Perhaps you have um, one son or daughter who's better with um, financial matters than another. You can have some flexibility as to who those helpers are. Yeah, and in both cases, Rachel, I think the key attributes are good communication and good organization, especially on the financial side. You don't have to be some financial expert. As long as you're organized and can find professional help, uh, you can serve as an effective power of attorney. So often it's about asking the right questions, right, Patrice? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, and I'm going to ask this. How is this all different from a living will? A living will comes into play near the end of life as you're incapacitated and can stipulate uh, to what degree you want life prolonging care uh, and nutrition. And this is another area where you really want to rely on your attorney's advice and it's very specific by state. Uh, 
so for some clients, they may not have a living will and allow their spouse as their healthcare power of attorney to make those decisions. So it's really important to consult with your attorney on how the healthcare power of attorney and living will interact with each other. Uh, for example, in the state of Ohio over the last few years, kind of the priority order has changed on that. So you definitely want to be clear with your attorney on kind of what trumps what document and how that could be different in different states. And that raises the other point that if you move states, that's another time to review your documents as another kind of life-changing event. Oh, yeah. And those documents can sometimes alleviate some of the stress that a healthcare power of attorney might feel. When you've outlined some wishes in a living will, then they can go to that document to see what you would have wanted had you been able to make those decisions. Um, that's that's a lot of what this estate planning is about, making it easy for your executors to take action um, when they're going through some some difficult things. The loss of a loved one is is not something you want to be going through without some clear instructions. That's a great point, Rachel. Yeah, it is. It is. All right, let's let's wrap this up then by looking at some bullet points here how a financial advisor can help an individual with all this documentation. You know, I think it's important to start with goals. Forget all the documents, forget the technicalities, start with goals. Obviously you're passing, what do you wanna have happen to your assets? Uh, who do you want to receive those assets uh, during your lifetime? Who do you trust to make important financial and healthcare decisions for you? Um, and then from there, back into a way to cost effectively come into an appropriate estate plan that's right for your life circumstances. And let's always start with simple first. There's no need to be complex unless there's family reasons or goals that require complexity. As time goes on, it will get more complex, I'm sure. Typically, yeah. This is great. Rachel, does, was there something else that you wanted to say to wrap it up for us? I was just thinking about the fact that um, it's nice to have an accountability partner on these to-dos, oh. you know, checking in. It's it's like trying to lose weight when you have a, a coach or, you know, trying to get stronger. Having a, a trainer is helpful. We just check in on these various to-do items and make sure that they get done. Make sure that the paperwork gets done to the extent we can help make that process easier. We do that. Um, but really, it's it's just checking in. Hey, have you signed these documents? And and revisiting that every few years to make sure that they're they're up to date. Um, so more like a partner than anything. Outstanding. How can listeners reach you if they've got questions and want to take this further? You can reach us at www.fosterandmotley.com or you can give us a call 513-561-6640. We are happy to help. And that's great. Rachel Rasmussen, David Neenaber for Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. To know when new episodes are available, subscribe. And of course, you can always share. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
the information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of foster and motley the content including mention of specific investments or planning techniques is for informational and for educational purposes only it is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster and Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.